Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Looking for a toxic-free nail polish option for your kids? Paint those piggies with Piggy Paint Nail Polish, a premium brand trusted by parents. Piggy Paint is a water-based formula that dries hard and is free of all harsh, smelly chemicals. With over 40 fun, vibrant shades available, this non-toxic nail polish is kid-friendly and safe for all ages. Enjoy gift sets, scented options, accessories, and don't forget the nail art. It makes the perfect gift, so grab your Piggy Paint today with 20% off at www.piggypaint.com backslash JustIngredients, or use code JustIngredients at checkout for the same offer. Brian Carr is a second-generation indoor environmental consultant who specializes in working with hypersensitive individuals with complex chronic medical conditions. He helps individuals and families to understand if mold, mitotoxins, or other indoor pathogens exist in their homes that may be contributing to their health conditions and how to remedy those issues. Brian is the co-founder of We Inspect, the host of Hashtag Mold Finders Radio, and an expert at identifying indicators of mold growth, including but not limited to strategic sampling, validating, and developing remedial strategies for mold growth and biotoxin production in all areas of a home or building, including walls, floors, ceilings, crawl spaces, basements, attics, and HVAC systems. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I'm actually really excited to talk to our guest because he is an expert in the mold industry, like the mold in your house. And crazy enough, my son is living in the Philippines right now, and there is black mold in his apartment So I can't wait to ask our guest a ton of questions about mold and how it affects our health and how we get rid of it in our house and things like that. So welcome to the show today, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited to have you, like I said, to ask you all sorts of questions. But before we begin, will you tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got involved in knowing all things about mold? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I didn't grow up wanting to be like a mold expert. That's not, I don't think it's something anybody does. Like a lot of people who are in this field and really helping people understand this stuff, I had a story. I had it impact me. And I think that's how a lot of people get into this. And they realize that, whoa, this is, this is something that's important. They see the context of how it impacted them. And then they feel like there's a mission that they're on now to try to help other people. And that's ultimately what happened with me too. The short version of this story is I lived in an apartment. There was a leak that came through the ceiling. It wasn't handled properly by the landlords, even though they told me there was no problem and everything was fine. And I was getting symptomatic and then more symptomatic and more symptomatic to the point where I was getting like eczema type rashes on my face and I wasn't able to like think and remember things. So I was getting cognitive issues. I was getting skin issues that were coming out of it in a very short period of time. It was just like a couple months for me because of what happened in my space. They had sent in, you know, inspectors and stuff and said everything was fine. Luckily at the time uh, I was dating who's now my wife and her dad is my mentor who taught me everything I know. And I just happened to be connected to them. Right. And that showed me what the difference was. Her dad came in, found my entire room was saturated with water in the walls, even though there wasn't one sign of like water staining on the wall. Hmm. And I was just sleeping in a, in a toxic box, essentially. 
yet the area where the leak came through in the ceiling was dry. So that means everything else was fine. Right. Oh, and this interesting. Was, this was the thing that I started to see. It was like, you know, you start understanding how the world works in a way when you start seeing things happen and you start realizing that if somebody owns your building, they're just worried about making money on your building. They're not worried about your overall health and your longevity and all of your, all, you know, functioning and stuff. Right. And for them to fix a problem the way it needed to be fixed was going to cost a lot of money. And, you know, I learned how it all worked and did the math and they would have lost like 20 grand that year on my unit if they actually did what they needed to do. So they didn't. Right. Anyways, I was, uh, my, my father-in-law, well, not at the time. My, what do you call it when you're dating the, the, the you're dad soon, of my you're, Yeah, you're my soon girlfriend. to be father-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, um, he walked me through the whole thing. He found a bunch of stuff in my room. He helped me get out of my lease. He guided me through the whole thing. And at the time, I was actually looking for a new job. It was in 2008 when the big recession hit, and I was working in advertising, and I got laid off. And so I was like looking for something. And it's funny. I was... Actually, I wrote this in monster.com at the time, which was so silly because I was having such a hard time. And I wrote job that will make me feel fulfilled. I literally wrote that in there and like nothing comes up. They, they don't know what that means. Right. But that's kind of what I was looking for. I wasn't feeling it in what I was doing in my career. And then I saw this happen. It's like, wow, like the, the timing of this, this is amazing. Like this actually helped somebody. So I told them I wanted to work with him and I wanted to learn from him and I wanted to do it. And so he let me come on and shadow him for a while and started teaching me. And I was with him every day, every minute, every phone call, every car ride for a long time, for a couple of years. And I ended up learning what has turned out to be something that basically nobody really knows outside of a few, a few people. And I think those people might like 80% of them might be in my organization now. So oh, interesting. Um, it's exciting. It's exciting to be the thought leaders and the ones pushing the message out and trying to help. And so that's that's the quick story of, of sort of where I came from. Oh, that's awesome. I love when people take like a health challenge or struggle and then turn it in to benefit others. And so thank you for what you do. And we're just going to delve right in, but we're going to start at the beginning or the basics of things and talk about mold. So what is mold exactly and how is it growing? And this is always one of the big things that comes up with someone who hasn't like really dove into it or experienced it yet. A lot of times it's the spouse of somebody. So like one person in the house is feeling symptomatic or having, you know, mold related health issues and maybe the spouse or the partner is not, right? And so the first question that comes up is like, well, mold is everywhere. It can't be mold because I feel fine and you're not. So it can't be the house. It can't be mold in the house. It's got to be something else is wrong with you, right? And I don't think that they're saying that to be like mean or insensitive. I just think like logically when you start checking the boxes and you start thinking of things, it makes sense when you think of it like that initially, right? And it's just not that black and white. So the first thing, yes, mold is normal. It's everywhere. We're never going to have zero exposure. But the thing here is, and, and, and a lot of times what comes up in this conversation is mold has been around for thousands of years. Why is it all of a sudden now causing problems for us, right? It can't be that. Well, there's a lot of things that we've learned after the fact that cause problems with us. I want to like throw that out there. You used to be able to smoke cigarettes when your wife was giving birth in the birth room. Wow. Like that used to be a thing. Right. That could happen. Yep. Now, God forbid you touch a cigarette, you're going to be socially shunned forever. Like, and we all know that it causes can all these things now, right? Right. We continuously learn what we once thought we knew. All of a sudden we get new information and we're allowed to change our opinion. Right. right. And I think that's an important piece of this. And, you know, way back when conversations happen, it's like, well, you know, cavemen had mold and there was like, 
Yes, but the homes that they lived in, there's other variables around this, right? One is the homes we live in right now are sealed airtight boxes because we're so concerned about energy efficiency, which means that you're not getting air dilution and airflow in our homes anymore. So if there are issues in our homes, they stay, they permeate, they build up, they don't go anywhere, right? So the concentration just builds, 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 builds in the house. And that's what we're breathing all the time. We spend 90% of our time indoors. That's a stat that was out. I think it was World Health Organization. Somebody put that stat out. I forget off the top of my head. So we take 20,000 breaths a day. We spend 90% of our time indoors. That's 18,000 breaths a day that you take inside of a building. Wow. And if the building is tight and sealed and there are you know, abnormal growth issues happening in there that's putting off toxins or irritants or whatever it might be, you're breathing it all and it's going to build up, right? So that's kind of one piece of it. The other piece is we also live in a much more toxic world now than we did in the past. You know, the pesticides on our food, the chemicals in our cleaning products, the stuff that's in our pans that we cook with, that we end up eating, microplastic. I mean, just you go on forever, right? So right. our bodies can only handle so much. And so it's not only that like mold is the only thing, but what happens is that when our toxic, if you think of a bucket and you're filling the bucket with water and our toxic load is getting higher and higher in that bucket, and then you dump on a whole bunch of mold exposure on top of it, it overflows the bucket and it causes a lot of problems, right? So a lot of times mold is the trigger for things that have kind of been happening, but not to the point where they've manifested yet. And then mold becomes the trigger that just kind of opens the floodgates and lets everything out. So that's kind of what happens. And then how it grows, mold needs three things to grow. It needs water, it needs a food source, it needs the right temperature. We can only control one of these things in our homes and that's water. Our whole house is built out of food for mold. There's nothing you can do about it. And the temperature that mold grows at is we as people are comfortable at and we'll be able to live in, right? We're not hot boxing our house to hundreds and hundreds of degrees to a point to where mold's not going to grow, right? So we can't control those two things. The one thing we can control is moisture, which means if we have leaks, if we have drips, if we have larger floods, if we have things like that, that's where you start getting mold issues that occur. But the one big misconception on this is it has to be like a big moisture issue, right? And that's not really true. You could have a tiny drip under your sink that's dripping just onto the floor of your sink cabinet that creates a massive mold problem under your cabinet. But when you look at it from the top side, it doesn't really look like anything, right? Yep. And so it's really about having a, a keen understanding of how to identify what water damage looks like because that's the clue that tells you there may be a mold issue and to being open and aware to like look through your space and take a few extra steps to see if something like that is happening. And the last thing on this, and I'll stop on this piece is <laughs> no, you're the good. other really big misconception on this is that something needs, so I said you need water, food, temperature, right? Water doesn't mean you need consistent water. It just means you need water at some point in time ever. Hmm. Okay. So imagine that you have like grass growing in your backyard. You watered your yard, grass grew. You stop watering your yard, the grass stays. It just gets very dry and it dies. Now, if you walked on the grass, it would be sharp and it would poke your feet and it would still hurt. So it's not like the grass like uprooted itself and went looking for new water somewhere, right? It grew, it stayed. The only way it comes out is if you physically remove it. It's the same exact thing that happens with mold. When it grows, it's there. When the water goes away, so let's say you had a leak under your sink, like, oh, I fixed the faucet so it stopped leaking, but it had been leaking in your cabinet for two weeks, let's say. 
You're like, so we just, you know, just try to dry it out and then we fix the leak. If mold grew already, that colony will stay there forever until it's removed. And when it dries out, it becomes way more brittle and it breaks apart into tiny pieces and it can actually spread throughout our house much more easily than when it's being quote watered and it's sturdy and it's rooted and it's like alive and anchored, right? So the understanding of what does water damage look like and knowing that it doesn't have to be something that happened right now, that is why there's so many mold problems that are happening in homes. And that's why this is becoming such a bigger thing because people live in older homes, right? And as the history and the length of the home adds up, you know, well, we had this leak over here this one time. We didn't like really do anything about it. We dried it. Then we had this thing and we just let it do its thing. And the next thing you know, you got four or five, six things that happened that remain and all of the particle and if the toxins were created and this, all that stuff is now moves and circulates more and more and more throughout the house and it builds up the load in the house. I have so many questions for you because you say an old house, but when we actually moved into our brand new house for the first mm-hmm. five years, we had so many mold issues because of leaks that have happened during mm-hmm. the construction. And so we have cut out drywall. We have redone bathrooms. It's been sort of a mess. But um, what I want to first talk about are the health symptoms that maybe people would experience if they had mold in their house. Because the first time we had mold in our house, my son had this like constant cold, it seemed like, or like allergies. We go to the Mm -hmm. doctor and the doctor's like, it's not allergies and the allergy medicine's not working. And it's like this ongoing cold. And so finally the doctor was like, maybe there's mold in your basement somewhere, in your room somewhere. Anyways, come to find out a shower above his bedroom was leaking. It was in his ceiling. And so what are the common symptoms, health symptoms that people could look for if there's maybe mold in the house? It's such a good question. And I wish it was like a different type of disease or is like these five things mean that you have this. Mold is not anything like that. It is what's called multi-system, multi-symptom type of issue. What that means is systems in your body, you have neurological, you have your nervous system, you have a reproductive system, you have your hormones, you have all these different systems in your body. Mold can impact all of them. And multi-symptom means that your symptoms can manifest in all kinds of different ways. So you could have, like for me, for example, I was getting skin issues and I was getting cognitive issues. Cognitive is a big thing that happens a lot with people. You could also have reproduction issues. You could have gut issues. You could have uh, upper respiratory issues. You could have, I mean, just fill in the blank. There's so many things that can happen and it makes it really hard. And that's why doctors, traditional doctors that aren't really trained in kind of functional medicine and getting to root cause of issues have a very, very difficult time nailing this down. And so what ends up happening is they'll start giving you like some sort of blanket diagnosis, like fibromyalgia mm-hmm. or chronic fill in the blank. Oh, it's chronic something because it keeps happening. So it's chronic. None of, nothing we're giving you is working. So you now have chronic this because nothing works. It, it's a label they can put on it right? So they can check it off in the system of the back end and write a prescription for it, right? Because you have to put a label to something in the medical system to be able to write a prescription for it. And that's how it works. And so that's why mold has become such a big thing is because it gets missed all the time. People end up with symptoms across the board. I mean, hair loss, like like, uh, tinnitus, like ear ringing. I mean, there's so many things that come, come along. If you're kid, if it's kids, 
You have pans and pandas, which are neurological issues. So like in kids, if you're seeing like changes in their mood and their personality, like things look very different. And a lot of times it's a brain inflammation thing that could be caused from environment. Late onset bedwetting, if they're like nine and they haven't wet their bed in five years and all of a sudden they start wetting their bed again, like there are so many different symptoms that come along. So what I would say, instead of trying to lift, list every single symptom I could think of is if your symptom, whatever it is, has been happening for an extended period of time and you've gone to your traditional doctors and nothing that they're doing is working and it continues to persist, then you have to look at your at environmental factors that could be causing the triggers for that stuff, right? It might not be an internal thing that's originating it. It might be an external thing that's causing the trigger that's then creating the internal responses. So for anyone who is dealing with something like that, or you're noticing things that like the doctors can't put their finger on and they've run all the tests and everything looks fine, your blood looks fine, or this looks fine, or that looks fine. I don't know what's wrong with you. The answer is your body wasn't like this forever, right? Your body is reacting to something. Try not to blame it on getting old or this or that or, or excuses that we give ourselves for lack of performance in our bodies. Your bodies are supposed to perform forever. And if they don't, it's because things are happening to impede the performance of the body, right? So I would just encourage people, to, you know, even if you've seen a few different doctors, you feel like, oh, I guess this is just life as it is now. Like it's not, there's, there's a way to get to it. You just have to find the right person to help open that door and show you like what the path is. And on this side, it's really like functional integrative medicine. Those are really the people that are looking at all the symptoms or all the systems in your body connected. So a lot of traditional medical practitioners, they'll look at the one area where your problem is and they'll just focus on running tests like in that one area, right? So let's say you're having cognitive, you know, effects like, oh, we're going to run, you know, an MRI and this and that. Everything is focused just on that area. But the problem might not be there. The problem might be somewhere else and that's reacting to it. And they would miss it if you're not looking at the entire body to see how it's all connected. And that's really what functional integrated medicine is all about. And it's amazing that it is here and it's able to, you know, that people are doing that now. And there's so many more practitioners than there used to be. So it's yeah. a long drawn out answer, I guess. No, no, that's <laughs> great. But it's true. Like if you have something that's chronic that you can't put your finger on, maybe look for mold because that was my son. Like these allergies or cold-like symptoms were just lasting way too long. And I was like, there's got to be something else going on. And so it's interesting because you can actually test for mold in the body, like a hair DNA scan will show if there's mold in the body and there's cleanses and things that you can do to help get the mold out. And so there are things that people can go do to help their health. Yeah, I was just going to say a lot of your traditional doctors won't run tests like that because they don't connect to their system that allows them to run the test. I went to like my general practitioner. I wanted to get a micronutrient test because I wanted to see what that looked like. We have no reason to run this for you. Right. Like the I, reason is I want to know, know what is going on so I can be proactive. That's the reason. Well, I can't justify writing this for you to have this test. Yeah. Are you serious? So we really don't have control of our bodies the way that we think we do if we're going to general like mass sort of medicine options because we are at the at the mercy of what they think that we're worth looking at at that moment. Right. Yep. And the nice thing is all these tests, like you mentioned, exist. You can do urine mycotoxin tests. There's a whole panel of functional medicine testing for inflammatory markers, for gut issues, for 
hormone imbalances, and all of this stuff are puzzle pieces that can help move you to where the problems are. Like you, can, It's possible to do. just have to find the right people that can help you do it. Exactly. And there's some amazing doctors out there that will definitely help you. So just find those good ones. But now let's actually help people with their homes because, like I said, we have found mold in the craziest places. And one was under the kitchen sink. And I didn't realize there was actually mold because the wood had just like crackled. So I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, I don't see mold. So there's no mold. But that's not the case. So I know you have like certain things for people to look at in their home to help them determine if they might have mold there. What are some of those things? Well, there's a couple things, right? The first thing before we're like what to look for, I always ask people to do this. And and the approach of how like we go through a house is the exact same approach that a doctor is going to go through somebody, right? The first thing you do when you go to your doctor is you fill out a family history intake form that takes you an hour, right? You're like, oh, did your parents have this? Did they have this? What about this? You're checking all the boxes. There's even things you've never even heard of before on there. You got to check the boxes, yes or no. So we do the same thing for the house. It's the, literally the first step that you should be doing because before you start looking around and scanning stuff, if we already know that things have happened in places, it's already starting to direct us on what's going on. Meaning, have you had any leaks in your house? Have you had any historical water events in your house? And a lot of times people initially be like, well, no. And you have to sort of guide the conversation a little better because everyone thinks of a leak or a water event like some massive thing that's happened. Like my basement is never flooded, right? So no, I haven't had anything. So then you start thinking room by room and trying to, to help someone visualize, okay, well, let's walk through your kitchen, right? So in your kitchen, kind of the main areas that things happen are your sink area, your refrigerator area, your dishwasher area. Those are kind of the main water sources in your kitchen. Have you ever had like a drip link under your sink that you thought wasn't a big deal? Just like what you said, right? And be like, oh yeah, I guess that I have had that. Okay, cool. What happened? What did you do there? Right? Like, oh, well, I fixed the leak on top. Okay, well, what about the actual cabinet where the water was dripping, right? Did you do anything there? Oh, no, there was just some cracking there and it looked fine. I didn't see any mold. Okay, cool. In my mind, check mark, that's a place that we have to look, right? Right. So anywhere that we know that there's been a moisture issue, we basically walk someone through the thought process of walking through your house and really think like, well, I mean, I guess water does splash to the side of the tub when my kids are taking a shower. And I mean, yeah, the baseboard does look a little different than the than it does four feet down the other direction that's not right next to the tub okay cool that's an area where moisture has impacted that's something we'd be looking at the whole process of the inspection is about trying to identify where moisture is now or where it may have been in the past and then figure out if there's a mold issue there as a result of that water right just like watering a plant like we talked about earlier right? So that's the first thing. So start thinking through each room, where are the primary water sources in a room? So kitchens, you have sinks, refrigerators, dishwashers, bathrooms, you have showers, tubs, toilets, sinks. Can we talk about the bathroom for a second? Because I've had to redo two bathrooms because of wood baseboards around the bathtub and the kids splash or whatever, or not even as teenagers, they get out and drip and they're wet from getting out of the shower. And both had warped baseboards, so we pulled them up, and there was mold back there behind them. Why yeah, do we put wood exactly baseboards we right for. around a bathtub is what I want to know. <laughs> That's a big building question maybe beyond me I know, I'm not the I construction know. guy. But that's what you look for, right? So if we were going through the house and I saw that there was a little warping in a baseboard, you saw no mold on the front of it, right? You didn't see anything there. 
I'd be like, we, we have to test here. We have to figure out what's going on because there's a likelihood that's going on, right? So that's exactly how you go through your space. You go through every room and you kind of figure out, okay, where are my key water sources? The other things in like general rooms that aren't like a shower or a kitchen or excuse me, a bathroom or a kitchen or something like that, just look around the windows, right? Everywhere there's a hole cut in your wall is a hole that was cut in the waterproofing of your house. So everywhere there's a window, they cut a big hole to put your window in. And if the window isn't sealed properly, it's a pathway for water to come in. So as you look around like your walls, anywhere there's a window, anywhere there's something in the wall, they literally cut a hole in your house to stick that thing in there. And it's a potential infiltration point. So you want to look around any of those areas too. But those are kind of where to look for things if you're just doing an initial scan by yourself. So do a history gathering of your own, go through each room, think about anything has happened, look at these key areas, right? Now, the next thing is what you're looking for. So there are five signs of what we call a hidden mold growth, but it's really five signs of water damage, right? Because again, water is the thing that will trigger the mold to grow. So there's water damage manifests in five different ways. If you know what the five things look for, you can literally look across your whole house and you can start looking and you can see them. So the first one is bubbling, like bubbling paint, right? So if you're looking let's say at the bottom of a baseboard and you see like the bottom has like a little bubbly kind of wavy kind of thing at the bottom of it, that's bubbling, right? So that's a clue that there's been moisture that's impacted that area. It happens on, I'd say most frequently on baseboards, on walls, I'm trying to think of the primary areas they, may, they happen most often. Those are probably the two biggest areas that bubbling and probably like cabinet bottoms. Those are probably the three areas that happens the most. The next one is buckling, warping, separating, like any word you want to use for that, right? So if your floor is warping, if it's bowed, it's also called buckling. So things don't just bow up for no reason, right? So what happens, water gets into something, it expands the material and it starts to warp and it starts to bow. So if you're looking at your floor, for example, and you start and you see there's a weird you know, little, little bump in it, or you feel it with your foot one day when you're going by, that's a clue. So how do you go through some of these areas? The big areas that you see like buckling and separating are by exterior walls where water comes in from the outside. Kitchens by your sinks, your dishwashers, and your fridges if water got to the ground. Showers by the tubs and, you know, kind of right where the tub meets the floor and where the, um, like where the toilet is. And then in your cabinets, your sink cabinets too, those will warp as well if water gets into them. So those, those are big areas. And as far as separating a big place where you see separation, which is just warping on a different plane, like a vertical plane instead of a horizontal plane, baseboards, baseboards, crown molding. So if you look and it's like all flush, like it's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden there's a piece of the baseboard that's like pulling off the wall a little bit there's something back there that's causing that to happen, right? So, right? so that's another one. The third one is cracking or peeling. So you mentioned cracking in your sink cabinet that was down there. So this happens a lot with paint and wood is mostly where you'll see this. So you'll see it in walls sometimes and you'll have, a lot of time you'll see it in sink cabinets and things like that where you'll see like cracking. It's almost like the paint like looks like it dried up kind mm -hmm. of. So it got wet and then it got moist and then it dried and then that's what happened to it, right? So that's kind of what happened. The fourth one is rust or like chemical reactions, basically. So the two big ones here are rust itself. So if you see like rusty nails or rusty, you know, in, in other areas, rust only happens if there's moisture, right? So it's a clue that there might've been some sort of moisture intrusion. The other one is called efflorescence. It happens most often in basements and crawl spaces. So if you ever look at your, if you have like an unfinished basement or a crawl space, and you see like white powdery stuff on the foundation walls, mm -hmm. that's called efflorescence. 
that's a mineral deposit from moisture coming into like the brick or the stone or, you know, whatever your basement's made out of down there. And that white is a mineral deposit from the water getting to that. So that shows you that at some point in time, water has come through the waterproofing and gotten into the foundation wall. So that's a big clue that something has happened there, which may indicate you have a waterproofing issue from the outside of the house that's allowing moisture to come in. And this is mostly how basements and crawl spaces get impacted, is that the waterproofing isn't good. Water starts coming in from the outside, gets into the bottom of the house, basically. And then all of that air always moves upward through something called the stack effect. So if you have a problem in your basement, your crawl space, even though you don't live there potentially, right? It's unfinished basements or crawl space. Your house does not know that you don't live there. As far as your house is concerned, it's part of the connected structure of the house, which means the airflow will start at the bottom down there and it will push upward through all of your living spaces and you'll be impacted by whatever's happening down there. So it's really important that these like lower level areas are dry and there's no mold issues because they'll move throughout the entire house. They'll push upward. So that's a big one. And then the last of the five things is staining. Most obvious one, I look at the ceiling, I see a water stain. It's probably been a water issue there, right? right. So that, that's the most, uh, that's the most obvious. So those are the five things. And so if you go through your house, you don't have to know exactly everywhere to look, right? Like, you know, you want to do a cursory level thing. First thing you do is think about where have I historically had an issue? Just kind of make a list. Next, you go through and just go in every room and like, where are the water sources in this room? Let me just look around those areas. I may not have Brian's eye to look at every square inch of my ceiling and my wall and everything and know exactly what's going on. But if I go closest to where the water sources are, then it's a higher probability that the things are going to be manifesting there. And you can at least do a cursory look at what's going on on your own there. Right. Those are such good tips because having mold a few times, those are exactly the places I look and what I look for, you know, around the bathtubs, under the sinks ceilings, around the windows, things like that. So that's good advice for everybody to go look for that. But now there's times, though, that you can actually see the mold. I mean, you've seen it like on shower walls or shower ceilings. You can see the mold. What should people do if they can actually visually see mold? Do they clean it? Do they cut it out? Do they call somebody? What's your advice? So you call somebody for the most part. There's very few places that you can clean mold. Think of mold like the type or like a uh, like an iceberg, right? If you're seeing the tip of it, it's a problem. That means it's probably a lot bigger beneath the surface. So if it's a ceiling, it's probably a much larger problem above the ceiling. You're not seeing if it's manifesting up on the front of the ceiling where you can see it. the The tip of it is such the small part. Like with the Titanic, the tip didn't knock down the Titanic. It was all the stuff down below. They thought they got around it. So like if you clean it and you just wiped the surface of your ceiling, for example, and the tip is no longer there, right? It doesn't mean the Titanic isn't running into that thing and sinking, right? And that's kind of the idea is that if that stuff is still there, it's still going to get into the space. The one thing I would say, though, is that seeing it is not a direct correlation to what area is the worst in your home. Hmm. Most areas, the more significant issues are actually hidden behind places. So in our minds, we're like, oh, if I see it, this is the worst thing I have to get on this. That doesn't necessarily mean like the example that you said, your shower, the baseboard behind the wall next to that shower or that tub you know, that could have been, that could have been a whole lot of mold that if you're seeing on the front side, it could have been even more on the back side. It could have been a mold type that is a, a toxin producing, a mycotoxin producing mold type. And the first step on all this stuff is to really test and understand what we're dealing with. If we go in guns blazing and we start ripping stuff out and doing things, you got to understand you're dealing with like biotoxins and biohazards here. 
So it isn't like I'm going to go into my house and like DIY handyman this thing and just like fix this thing. Think about what asbestos was 50 years ago, right? We didn't know about it. Everybody's going in, doing construction in their house, doing whatever. It starts flying all over the place and all of a sudden everybody starts getting mesothelioma and now how dare you ever touch anything you might even think has asbestos in it. It's going to try to kill you, right? right? Yep. Mold isn't a lot different than that. Now it manifests differently than what happened with asbestos in your body, right? But in terms of what it can do and the dangers of it, mold toxins are biotoxins. If they're there, you're literally releasing biotoxins that are meant to kill living things throughout your whole house. You are living things, right? These toxins have been used in, in biological warfare. Like they have created weapons out of aflatoxins and different things for war, right? So this is like serious stuff that we're dealing with. And there's a reason because we see how it impacts our bodies. Like there's a reason that there's so many more people getting sick and all the symptoms are manifesting the way that we've talked about. So the first step really is to have an inspection to understand where are the problems. You have to test everything. You have to test all the areas that we can, that we know, because that gives us a look at not only is there really a problem there. So for example, that baseboard again by your shower, there might not have been a problem there. It's possible there might not have been a problem. So you test to validate for one, is there an issue here? But then the second thing with the testing and why it's so important to be testing any area that looks suspect is it lays it all out in front of you. So you can start seeing what areas are the worst. You can start working through a prioritization list of how to attack this problem. Most of our clients don't remediate every single thing we find in their home, but what we do is we find everything. And then we sit down and we sort of group them together in tiers and say, all right, we think these five things are kind of the biggest contributors of what's going on in your space. There may be 10 other things that we found, but if we knock these five things out, we feel like we're probably knocking 60 to 70% of the problem out of here. And if you can reduce your load by 70% and then be working with your practitioner on, on protocols to help detox and open up your methylation pathways and all these things that you have to do on that end to get better, that may be enough for you. You might not have to go all in. Most of our clients don't remediate everything we find and most of them get better. But you can't make those decisions strategically if you don't see the lay of the land and know what areas you need to be focusing your dollars on, right? And right. so that's why it's really important to get somebody in, get somebody who understands how to test at the source. One thing I will say is if you bring someone in who's going to do air samples in the middle of your room, don't bring them in. It's literally just setting your money on fire. There's two things that happen here. One, an air sample in the middle of the room gives you false negatives all the time. Okay. I actually did a study for a year because I know that this happens. This is how most inspectors go through. Like if you go on Yelp and go look for a home inspector or Angie's List or home advisor, you're going to find someone who comes into your house. They're not going to charge you that much. They're going to charge you like 700, 800 bucks to a thousand bucks. We're going to come in. We're going to scan your house with an infrared camera and we're gonna take air samples in all the rooms that you spend time in and we'll see what quote your air quality is. If you get somebody who tells you they're gonna come do air quality testing in your house, don't even hire them. They don't know what they're talking about, right? That's and really so, interesting because I've had people approach me for that for my son's townhouse that he lives in. Yeah, what they're gonna do is they're gonna take an air sample in the middle of space. So let's talk about why that's not what you should be doing. All right, first off, an air sample in the middle of a room, you have limitations. It's only pulling air for five minutes. So whatever happens to be floating around during those five minutes is what gets pulled into the air sample. I could take a sample in one room first thing in the morning when no one's been walking around. 
I could take another sample in that room after my four-year-old has been jumping around on her bed like a superhero. And I'm probably going to find different things that are in that sample. So they're incredibly variable in terms of what it's able to pull based on the time. But what's even the, the bigger issue on it is air sampling specifically, the further away you get from the source, it gets exponentially less accurate. Yet it's the standard for what our industry does to go into space because logically taking an air sample is going to show you what's happening in your air, right? So for a year, I did a study, every inspection that we went into, every house for a year, if I thought there was mold in a wall, I would test the wall the way you're supposed to. And then I would have, I would have a, an air sample set about three feet away at air quality measurement height, and I would take an air sample there. And 70% of the time, it gave a false negative when there was a mold issue less than three feet away behind. Oh, interesting. So it won't find it. It won't tell you what it is. But let's say you're on the 30% of that, the other side, where it actually does tell you there's a problem, right? Then you have to think of like, well, what do I do with that, right? right? If I get an air sample in the middle of a room that says there's a mold problem in this room somewhere, what do I do next? They're going to give you one of two options. And anyone who's listening to this has been through this, you're going to know because I'm going to say one of the options that they gave you. One is going to be, we're going to fog your room and we have this magic fog that's going to kill all the mold and it's going to get everywhere. It's going to get in every nook and cranny of the construction of your house. And it's, it's the most incredible thing since sliced bread and it's going to get rid of everything and everything's going to be fine. That's the first thing that they're going to do. But they charge you a lot of money for that fog and it doesn't do anything that it needs to do. So you're going to probably, charge, you're going to probably pay five to 10 grand to have an area fogged. And in two months, your problems are going to be back because the fog didn't actually do anything. Now, the second thing that the only other thing they can do, because they don't know where the problem is coming from, because that's not what they're doing. The only other thing they can tell you to do is rip out all the walls in that room because they don't know where it's coming from. So if your options are fog with, with magic thing that doesn't actually work is super expensive or gut my entire room, which is also very expensive because I don't actually know where it's coming from, neither of those two solutions are acceptable, right? And that's the only thing that someone can tell you if they do an air sample in the middle of a room. Now, if they do a sample directly at a wall and they're like, the wall right here has a mold problem in it. So what we need to do is remove this wall from here to here and this wide. Yeah. And we'll be able to clean the source of the problem. And then after that, we clean the room because what's happening in the room is just a byproduct from that source. Clean the room, wipe it down, clean it. You'll get rid of the residual that built up. You get rid of the factory source that created the problem. And this is how you actually do it, right? So the problem is nobody does it that way. I want to say nobody, but I was like gonna the majority say, of people you're going to find. I'm actually really glad we did it the right way because the mold was in my son's ceiling and they cut out the part that was needed and did what you said. So I actually had a good company, I guess. There you go. <laughs> but let's go back to the mold that people see because I have people that have like college kids in dorm rooms and they'll see mold all the time in dorms. We've got people that live in apartments. They see mold. What's their option? Because they can't go replace walls when they're in a dorm, in an apartment. And so really like cleaning with bleach is obviously not going to do anything. So is there any option for them? So you have to look at each situation and figure out like what they're willing to do, right? The options are only based off of what the person is willing to do, meaning... If I have a bunch of mold in my apartment that I'm renting, this is my apartment. This is the story up at the top. There's a whole, there's a big old problem. Now I couldn't, it wasn't visible in my apartment, but let's say it was, let's say there's stuff on the walls, right? They're not going to want to fix a lot of stuff. So you have to figure out what your end game and what your goal is. That's why the conversations always start with what is your goal? What do you want to happen? So let's say you're renting. You really have two main goals here. 
One, I want them to fix everything. I'm in rent control. I like my place. If I move somewhere, it would be way more expensive than I am now. But I feel like I deserve to be in a place that isn't making me sick. I want them to fix everything. Let's say that's goal number one. Goal number two is I'm not feeling good. I'm sick. I need proof that there's a problem here so I can leverage that to get myself out of this lease and go find a place that's healthier for me. Those are two very different goals. And so how you approach it is incredibly different, right? So it's, it's not necessarily like, if I see this, this is what you do, right? It's where do I want to be at the end of this process? And then how do we get you to that point, right? So if you're in step one and goal one, which is I want them to fix this place, then you actually, they're not going to test the house the way that it needs to be tested. So you have to know that if you want it to get done, you're going to have to incur the cost of the testing. They're not going to do it. And if they do do it, they're going to bring in Yelp guy who's doing air samples in the middle of the room that says everything is fine. Right? right. So the first thing you have to wrap your head around is if I'm renting and I'm seeing problems and I want to be here, that you're going to have to incur the cost of the testing, what that looks like. That's step one. The next thing down that road is you have to be very prepared that they are not going to do what you want them to do to fix it. So you're risking the money that you're spending on the testing up front to be a sunk cost because they're going to bring their own person in anyway. They're going to bring in a second opinion and that person is going to say everything is fine because they work for the building, right? And they take samples in a certain way. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be a battle. You're probably going to have to get attorneys involved. Like it's going to be a thing. So you have to be prepared for that, right? And if it's worth it for you, then you can. Right? Okay, so someone like a college kid is not going to go through all of that. So going to Home Depot or Amazon and buying one of those mold removers is not even a temporary fix. There are no temporary fixes out there, correct? No, I mean, listen, you can wipe it off and the stuff that's on the front isn't going to be there, but it's all going to be back behind and it's still going to be a problem, right? So it's not going to be an issue. The dorm situation is so funny. This is the second interview I've done in a couple of days where dorms have come up. Uh, and Listen, dorms, I mean, if you think apartment owners are not taking care of their buildings, look at schools that are 100 years old. Right, that's the problem. Know, the dorms, you're going to be very lucky to find a dorm that doesn't have problems. As a parent, you have to make a decision where you're going to put your kid, right? And look out for their business. They're going to want to be in the dorms. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. That's where they want to be. Dorms notoriously have issues. I just did an interview with somebody. I think she's going to be on my pod next week is when the interview was where she was in her 20s and moved into a place that had a problem and had all these issues that happened. She was a college kid. And her health dove, and it's not the first one. I see it all the time. So as parents, we have to do our best to protect our kids when they leave our space. We can control our house as best as we can, right? We have more control there. And you know, go look at the dorms with them. Go see what they look like, right? Do the same thing we talked about doing in your house. If the dorm is an old building, the air conditioning systems are going to be screwed. There's going to be problems in all of those. Like my kids, if they want to go to college and that's where they want to go, there's a very small chance I'm going to let them live in a dorm unless I can walk in there and they can prove to me that it's fine. And they're obviously going to know what it looks like. So they're, you know, they're going to be better equipped for that. But it's hard. It's a really hard thing to deal with. Okay. So let me ask you about like air filters that have like ultra HEPA filters that claim they can get the mold. Does that help at least a little bit? If we yes, put one of those helps. like in a dorm bedroom or something? So it helps. Again, it's a balance, right? So I'm talking just straight on, there are problems, there are problems. You have to think about the person that's in the room as well, right? 
So your level of concern and your level of action that you take is all based on the individual in the room and how they react to the space, right? So if you have somebody who's not reacting to a space at all, and you feel like there's a couple problems in there, but it's not terrible, right? You've seen worse and like, you know, it's, and nobody in the room is having a massive reaction, then maybe it's okay to come and do these supplementary type of things, like bringing in high-end air filtration, doing really thorough cleanings of the space to get rid of the dust in the, in the room because dust harbors all of this stuff. If you get rid of the dust, that means you're not breathing as much of it. So like thorough cleanings, air filters, opening windows to air flush the room, you know, every day for 10, 15 minutes to dilute the air. I mean, there are things that you can do, right? But if you have a child who is sensitive, like your kid at this point has already shown that they had a sensitivity and they had issues that were going on, right? So now when college time comes, it's like, I already know that, you know, my kid was in this space once before and this is what happened to them. Your right. tolerance for what you're going to allow them to be in is probably going to be different than for somebody whose kid has never had a problem before and you're just trying to be more proactive and aware of it, right? So it, it really is like a personal sort of decision on how aggressive you want to be on these things. And a lot of times people don't make movement unless there's enough pain to trigger the movement right. that has to happen afterwards. So, you know, it's, it's with all that said, I can't tell like exactly if you do this, this is what you do and everything's fine. It's right. like it's variable on the occupant, but it's just some things to think about, you know? Right. Those are good things to think about. So let me ask you this, though, because you'll see like on TikTok and stuff, they're like, oh, the worst mold is black mold. So is there really a difference between different molds and are some more harmful than others? Or they're all just mold and they're all causing issues? I love it. I love the question. It's a really good question. And it's, so the answer is this. One, you want to know why black mold is so known? Why? Because in the 90s, the, the mold they're specifically referring to is a mold called Stachybotrys. By the way, there's multiple molds that grow black. So there's not just one black mold. But they're referring to this mold called Stachybotrys in a kid's facility, I, I don't remember if it was like a daycare or something, but whatever, a facility where kids were in, there was a stachybotrys issue, all the kids got super sick. Hmm. So it became a big thing and it was deemed you know, black mold because that makes more sense in a headline than saying what the mold type is, nobody knows what that is. And all of a sudden black mold causes everybody to get sick and it's super dangerous. It's as if stachybotrys got a PR agent in the 90s. And they've just been doing the rounds and now everyone thinks that it's the biggest, baddest one that there is. There are multiple molds that produce toxins the same way that that one does. And those toxins can be just as dangerous for somebody or just as problematic for somebody as the toxins from that particular mold. And they don't all grow black, right? So there's really kind of like two categories of mold as opposed to like one mold that's like way more dangerous than the other. You have molds that have the ability to produce mycotoxins. These are the toxic components that a mold creates. So if you hear the phrase toxic mold, lots of people don't actually know what they're saying when they say the phrase toxic mold. What you're really likely referring to is the chemical toxin that's created from the mold. But, it's at, but the toxin is not mold. It's literally a chemical. Mm. It's like a byproduct. So the mold is like a factory that creates chemical toxins. That's what it is. So toxic mold, depending on who, how someone's referring to it, can either mean a mold capable of producing toxins or they could actually just be referring to toxins and they don't know it. But either way, you put that in that bucket. You have a mold that has the ability to produce a toxin. The toxin is meant to kill living things. The toxin is a defense mechanism from those molds to protect its territory that it's feeding on from other molds and bacteria coming to take away its territory. It creates a toxin to literally kill them and protect where they are. 
right? That's what this toxin is. Now, on the other side, you have molds that don't have the ability to produce toxins. Not every mold has the ability to produce a toxin, okay? Now, if you just look at it, it's not black and white. That's just toxic molds are bad and non-toxic molds are not bad. That's not the case, right? If you are somebody, we talked about your bucket of everything you're exposed to, right? If you're somebody who has other things going on in your body and you happen to be exposed to mold that's not producing toxins at the time, it can still trigger all of the same things that are happening as if you're exposed to the toxin itself. It's the immune response that's happening in your body. It's your body seeing something that's not supposed to be there and freaking out about it. That's causing a lot of the issues, right? And so the toxins have their own kind of subset of issues that come if the toxins are there, but at their own right, all molds at minimum are allergens at minimum. And then if you have other health issues, let's say you're dealing with Lyme disease or an autoimmune condition or pants pandas or something like that, and mold comes in, it's going to really exacerbate all of that stuff. And the other thing is if you're constantly exposed to a quote, non-toxic mold for a long period of time, your body is going to start recognizing that as something that it needs to react to. And it can actually start to create an autoimmune condition based on where that mold manifests in your body. So like you can actually have autoimmune, like, like Hashimoto's can actually be triggered and created, which is autoimmune thyroid uh, mm -hmm. issue because the mold is manifesting in that area of the body and your, and your body sees that and says, Oh, this area, because this is here is a problem. And it kind of confuses the genetic signatures of what's going on and just starts attacking it to get rid of it because there's something there that's not supposed to be there. And it doesn't understand that one is different from the other. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that can happen with prolonged mold exposure. And the reason I went and kind of explained all that out is I don't want everyone's eyes to be only focused on like one mold type that is toxic or not toxic or whatever. If we are exposed to something that we should not be getting exposed to at high levels for an extended period of time, it is going to create issues in our body regardless of what it is. That's really good to know. So I have a couple last questions, but I do know that people say, and I don't know if this is a myth or not, but people will say like, oh, I cut out the portion of my wall, right? That had mold in it. But then I had to go clean all my clothes and sheets and curtains because everything had mold spores on it. Is that true? Once it's like in a wall and you remove it, then it's spread to everything or is that a myth? No, it spreads. If you think about it, the only reason that we are even impacted by mold, it's not because there's mold, it's not because our face is behind the wall breathing the colony where it is, right? It's because that is coming out from behind the walls and getting into our airspace. That's actually our direct exposure pathway. Our exposure is not nose to colony. Our exposure is nose to air in our space and the colony's flooding that stuff into the air, right? So that's what our exposure looks like. If that's where we're breathing it, then yes, it's going to settle down on surfaces in our house. It's going to settle on contents, items, belongings. Now, if you go in the Facebook groups, there's a lot of these Facebook groups, mm -hmm. toxic mold this and Lyme yep. disease that and, and beating toxic mold, whatever, go look at it. And they all have tens and twenties and fifties of thousands of people in them. You're going to see everybody saying that you have to throw everything out that you own. You have to burn your house down. You have to go live in the woods. It's essentially what they're all going to tell you. And the reason that they say this, and I want to preface this, it's not because they don't think that that's what you need to do right? They're saying what worked for them. That's what they're saying. And I had to do this. And this is what ended up having to be. They create an opinion. And based off of the information that happened and what happened in their journey, that's just what they think has to happen. The problem is, 
if you're approaching this from start to finish and you actually don't understand how to address everything properly, then at the end of the day, your only solution is going to be to do that because you didn't actually do things in the proper order, in the proper manner, you didn't do things properly, and then that's what happens, right? And so a lot of people do that because what they were trying wasn't working and they think that's the only solution. And then they do it and they feel better because yes, of course, if you dump everything you own, then none of that stuff is there anymore, right? And so then that's what they think. That's not really true for everybody. Yes, mold will settle throughout the house. Again, you have to look at the person how sensitive are you, right? If I'm somebody who's not incredibly sensitive, then my need to be incredibly aggressive with all the stuff in my house goes down to meet me where I am at my level of sensitivity, right? If I'm incredibly hypersensitive, then my need to be more aggressive in how I handle and clean my house and just and items and discard things has to go up to meet me where I am. Right? right. It's all about finding that balance where you can live in harmony with the space. And so it's completely dependent on you and your reactions and how severely uh, sensitive you are to things. Right now, there are certain items that can't be cleaned and there are certain things that can potentially be cleaned. I actually made a, um, if anybody wants to go get it, it's cleanmymoldystuff.com. It's a free download. It's like a 20 page thing that I wrote. It was everything I always told all my clients on every consulting call about, well, here's what you can keep. Here's why, here's this, here's that, here's what you clean it with, where you clean it, how to clean it, what you can't clean, all that stuff. It's in a guide. It's free. If anyone's thinking about this, go get it. It'll be easier than me explaining it for 20 minutes. But the point of the story is you don't necessarily have to throw everything out. You have to look at the type of item it is. What is it made out of? You have to look at the value of the item, right? If it's something that's super cheap and your health is really being impacted and you're like, I'm going to try to clean this little $5, just throw it out. Just throw that thing out, right? Right. But at the same time, there are certain things that maybe you can't do. And so this will help sort of balance that out and what that looks like. So a home cleaning process, which includes contents, has to be part of a real remediation plan because that's where all of our exposure happened. Now the level of the cleaning, the aggressiveness, and like how, how far you go is gonna completely depend on the person and what they need to do. Okay, good to know. And that resource guide will be really helpful to my listeners. As we close up here though, we haven't touched upon preventative measures. So if people are like doing all the things you said, checking for mold places or bringing someone in to help them look, if they're doing all that and they seem to feel like there's no mold or whatever, what are some preventative things that people can do to help from mold coming in? So it's all around water. It's all around managing water intrusion where you can, right? So we look at the areas where there's the highest probability of issues and we put things in place that help to either limit them from happening or to protect the area from them happening if there's not a way for us to stop it, right? So for example, under sinks, we're not under our sinks every day. Something might drip, we might not know about it for let's say a month because I encourage everybody to empty out every sink cabinet in your house every month so you can get eyes on it. But most people don't empty their cabinets out for years. They just throw I was gonna say every month, that's not happening at my house. <laughs> yeah, so I encourage people to do that as a preventative measure because it can show, you can see like, oh, there's something happening, I need to get to this. The longer it goes on, the worse and worse it gets if you don't know, right? Ignorance is not blessed with this. Like you need to be aware of these things that are going on. So. Under all of my sinks, I have something, it's from this company called WeatherTech. Feel free to go get it. I put it in every sink cabinet in my house. It's like a rubber kind of protector for the bottom uh, panel of the cabinet. And it has like a lip around all the side of it. So it can hold like a gallon of water that happens to spill in there. It would all stay on the rubber, it wouldn't touch any of the cabinetry. 
So if you do have a leak that you don't get to right away and you look under there and, you know, three weeks later or something, and you see there's more water building up on there, you just saved your entire cabinet. You right. saved a mold problem. You saved all of that. Right. So that's one thing. Areas where things happen, you want to be aware of why they're happening and try to address it. So you mentioned your kids splashing and stuff out of the shower. So I've got a four-year-old. You know, I'm sure, you, I mean, you've had four-year-olds. I'm sure you can imagine what they were like in a tub. My four-year-old is not like that at all. She knows. If one <laughs> drop of water comes out of this tub, bath is over. Done. That's funny. She's been trained to understand that water doesn't come out of this tub. And so the reason I tell that story is a lot of times, you know, we we think that, oh, we can't really do anything about this because of X, Y, or Z, right? Sometimes there are things you can do. You just have to take a minute and try to do it, right? Instead of accepting the fact that, oh, there's kids in this thing. There's nothing I can do with them. Apply a very small consequence to something like that happening. Nothing big. You're not like doing major punishments or anything, but apply a consequence to a decision they're making. You decide to do this and the consequence is bath over. That's your decision. So it's your call. I didn't do this. You did this, right? And this is like how the conversation goes on. And now she knows if she makes that decision, bath is over. So if there are things going on, think about like if you're washing your hands and like splashing happens around the sink and you get on the wall over there or whatever, it's just about being more aware of where water is going in your space and trying to prevent it from getting to places as best as you can. And then checking areas like under your fridge and around under your dishwasher and just kind of see like, oh, is there any stainings or any dripping down here? Just kind of be aware of things like that. That goes such a long way. It goes yeah. such a long way. Just being aware of some stuff. Being aware is really important. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I know the listeners have learned quite a bit about mold and where to look for it and what to do. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so my company is called We Inspect. Our site is yesweinspect.com. If you have any questions or anything, there's a button on there that says free call. Literally every single person can on the phone with my team for free to ask, talk about, like, I think there's something going on or whatever. And in terms of like how we work, we work with everyone everywhere across the country. It doesn't matter where you are. We're nationwide. If you want in-person inspections, we will fly to you. I have people stationed in different areas. They all are trained under me and certified under our process. They work directly for me, but I have them in places around the country to make travel easier, right? So we can get to places. We also have a mobile app that takes our inspection process and puts it into your, an app on your phone. So let's say you're in your dorm room or let's say there's one room like in your bathroom where you're like, I don't know if I'm like flying out and having a whole inspection. I'm just like, I'm concerned about this one area or something that might be going on. We develop this app in the phone where you would say, I'm concerned about my bathroom and the app would pop up. Okay. I need you to take these six pictures. It shows you exactly where to take them and what to do. Take the pictures, send them back to my team and we're going to tell you what's going on in those spaces and help guide you to what's going on. So it's a way to get in and get access to the expertise that's here without necessarily having to commit to this big old inspection process if you're not on board, right? So we have different ways to work with people, whether it's in person, whether it's virtual consulting, those types of things. We'll even send test kits to you so you can do testing if you need to. So it's full service across no matter what your goal is, renting, owning, whatever it is, we're able to help there. And it all starts with a quick call and literally anybody who wants to talk to us, there's no filtering. There's no forms where you're like, you're not good enough to talk to us. There's none of that stuff. It's like literally everyone can talk to us. <laughs> and so if you got anything out of this and you feel like, man, I wish I could ask Brian some more questions, just go set a call, ask some questions. We're here for you. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great resource. Thank you so much. I end every episode by asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? Best ingredient in life. Gosh, that's such a cool question. 
Uh, I feel like once you have kids, your perception on things change a lot. I feel like time is my best ingredient in life and it's prioritization of that time. I think taking a step back and understanding before I had kids, I would get so engulfed in, I have to get this thing finished and I would literally sit here for hours and hours into the depths of the night to get something done or whatever had to happen. And that was priority at the time and that was fine. It didn't impact my life at all. And now that priorities change, I think being able to understand that time is the one thing that you can't ever get back. And then looking at your day and saying, which of these two things is really more important, right? And I think having the foresight to like look at yourself 80 years down the road and future pace yourself there. I talk about future pacing a lot because I think it's a really important way for us to understand what the decisions we're making now will have on us in the future. Imagine you're 80 and we're talking about September in 2023. What are you going to be talking about? Am I going to be talking about this podcast that I was on? As fun as this was, the answer is <laughs> no. I'm going to be talking about planning my girl's fifth birthday party or something like that. And I think if you're able to kind of disconnect yourself from the immediate now and look and pretend you're in the future and, and ask 80 year old me, what is most important today? And balance those things and understand that time is the one ingredient in all of this stuff that allows you to do that. That, you know, for me personally, it allows me to be very happy all the time. I'm pretty much never unhappy. And I think that's a big part of it. I love that. That is such a good word. Just time being the best ingredient. In fact, I don't think I've ever had a guest say time. So that was fun hearing about What are the other answers? I'm curious now. Oh my goodness. We have everything from consistency, from curious to loving to, I mean, all sorts of things, but we haven't gotten time. So I actually (laughs) was just pondering as you were talking, like, oh my gosh, that's actually a really good word. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Mold is a crazy thing. It's becoming a more trendy topic, I should say, which is really good. It's making people aware of what might be in their home and maybe something that might be contributing to their illnesses. So thank you for being here and taking the time to explain all of that to the listeners. I appreciate you giving me a chance. As you can tell, I love talking. So I I love talking about this stuff. I love educating. It's probably what I like most about what I do. So anytime I have an excuse to take an hour out of my day of running a business and actually talk about this stuff, I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.